Welcome everyone once again into the Irish NFL show brought to you as always in conjunction with our partners at Cassidy Travel. I'm Mark Cockrell. I'm joined this evening as always by my my comrade and compatriot, Brian O'Leary. Brian, good evening to you, mate. Good evening, Mark. Yeah, um, just two of us again. Um, I think we're going to get Colin back later in, this, later in the week and we're going to obviously discuss Michael's news maybe later in the show. I think we're keen to Discuss another action-packed uh, weekend of games. Some crazy finishes. The first time in um, first time since 1994 when the NFL brought in the rule of two-point opportunities that two teams essentially had walk-off wins with two-point touchdown conversions. Interesting side note, which I picked up on today when I was reviewing the games. I love it, Brian. I love it. You can't beat a bit of good trivia. And to be honest with you, I mean, they say that spring break is the wildest holiday in America. I definitely think uh, Thanksgiving football took over this weekend with the Thanksgiving weekend. The football being crazy. Obviously, all started on Thursday night. Congratulations. Great wins by the Bills, the Cowboys and the Vikings in the primetime show. Colin was over there live, obviously, following that. Um, And, uh, you know, enjoying, I'm sure, the Vikings trouncing the Patriots. Not as much as the NFL, though, Brian. 138 million viewers watched at least one minute of Thanksgiving football. So, as always, the kids at home, the memory and the thing to remember is the NFL is the daddy of them all when it comes to contracts, when it comes to business, when it comes to viewership. And, my God, the TV networks know it. Um, but you mentioned about the wildness. You mentioned about those two two-point conversions. So we might as well get straight into it, man. We've got plenty to talk about, plenty of great football over the weekend. So why don't we start with the the golden child, the number one pick in the draft a couple of weeks uh, years ago, Trevor Lawrence, finally, you'd say finally probably having a defining game. We probably saw his next most defining game in London there last year. But this was the game when he pulled his team out of the fire. And like you alluded to, they had, uh, well, we had Mexico last week, so they had the Cajones Grandes to go for the two-point conversion uh, with Doug Peterson there. Topping the Ravens, 28-27. Interesting on the two-point conversion. I know we're going to kind of discuss the game, but um, during the commentary when he scored a touchdown earlier on in the game, even the commentators were, were questioning whether he was going to go for two points because that's his, that's his memo and that's his ammo from his days in Philadelphia. He was the you know highest head coach in terms of always going for two-point conversion. Um, yeah, you're right. Look, Trevor Lawrence had a fantastic game. Essentially, he was one of those games. He put the team on his back and he, he found a way to drive them down when it didn't look like they were going to be in a position to do that. I think there was a third and 27 maybe in the fourth down play where it looked like the Ravens were going to stop them and they still found a way to get the players open. But this, again, it's the Ravens. Like The Ravens this year, um, they've had four games, three games where they've had 10-point knees in the fourth quarter. Turnover is key. Turnover at the wrong time in the game. And similar enough yesterday, up by nine points, and they have the ball essentially looking like they're in a position to go and win the game. And they, there's a fumble, spark of life for the Jags, find a way to get into the end zone. And then again, the Ravens still find a way to go down. And in a game where it looked like all they need to do was kick a field goal, you know, they're at the two-minute warning. Again, we're, down, we're back to play calling and what's the right strategy. Do they look to run the clock, get themselves into position with the arguably the NFL's best kicker? With a very manageable field goal, but instead to take the touchdown through Oliver the tight end goes in. There's enough time on the clock and big win for the Jags and Doug Peterson. Yeah, he's taking two points. I thought it was a risky move. I, I always do. I'm more of a old school. Let's play for overtime and take our chances. But no, he went for the win. I suppose. Oh. 
Well, Brian, Brian it's always going to be one of those. He gets it, and he's a legend, and he's great. He he fails with it, and he's lambasted across all the broadcast media because, of course, why would he do such a thing? I mean, the Jags have nothing to lose. Let's let's face it. I mean, it's again the lost season. They're, I mean, technically they could still get into a wild card slot and get a part of that, but it seems a bit jumbled in the AFC. It's probably hard to see a real meaningful path. So you've got a chance to top the Ravens. You know, why not go for it in that regard? And but let's not forget. They still, uh, I won't say threw it away, but there was still time left on the clock. I mean, Justin Tucker finished the game, lined up a 67-yarder. So it wasn't like that was a complete walk-off uh, end to the game. Um, that didn't make sense to me to kick off. There is, tw- what was it, 14, 14 seconds? 20, 20 seconds, because they yeah, had the three or four. Kick. It yeah. was questionable, to say the least. Well, it's questionable because they got the ball at the 39-yard line with Justin Tucker as the kicker. So essentially, all they really needed was 25 yards and... They were just short of what, two, three yards because, I mean, when he hit it initially, I thought it was going over and it just fell short. So I think the range was 65. I just found that unusual to kick off. It didn't make sense. I understood what he do the squib kick, but essentially you're doing it right down the middle, giving them field position. I thought he would have, yeah. it was more geared towards hanging it up around the 10-yard line and let the guy come out and, and waste even more time off the clock. So well, Brian, was it wasn't just you. That final kick, there's a great, there's a great shot where his offensive line, two or three of them, are putting their arms up in the air in celebration because they just see it going arrow straight. Whereas obviously Tucker is kind of like he knows he's hit it. He's not sure as he hit it well enough. He's not sure as he got the distance, and he's humming and hawing. But you know, you can understand from their perspective why they thought it was good and they were bailing out with another great victory. It might be a bit of that Lions game last year. Uh, if you remember, where they kind of undeservedly won it, if you like, for the final kick when he set the NFL field goal record uh, in that particular game as well. I think week two. Um, but we said there were two games in this regard. Obviously, the Jags didn't necessarily perfectly walk it off. The Chargers, however, did, well, they certainly left even less time on the clock in going for a two-point conversion, converting it against the Cards. Um, this was a super kind of you know, fluctuating game uh, at times, Brian. It, you know, it looked like either team could win it and run in away or, or indeed throw it away, um, as both teams have been notable to do during the season. The Chargers are still fighting there for that wild card slot, still staying in the mix. Um, and it's another kind of, you know, long-suffering season, it seems like. Kyler Murray came back for the cards, but it just wasn't enough for them to get over the line. Um you know, I think they started and they went down the field. Murray connecting with Hopkins. It looked like, oh, okay, they're back again. Um, and the Chargers, injuries and all, uh, everything not necessarily clicking the way it should be. They've had a couple of lucky wins. They're going to keep grinding out like this. That's what good teams well, good teams do. That's what a team does. That's what you want your team to do. Um, of course, we'll talk about the two-point conversion, but how did you feel the whole game went? And what are you seeing from the Chargers in terms of hope for this season or the future? Well, the hope is that they're going to be a wild card because essentially we know where the division is going at this stage. But um, it would look, again, I wouldn't say I was overly impressed with them. Impressed in the sense of the head coach who I've been very outspoken about on the show over the course of the season in terms of some decisions he made. And again, like he's gone for it. If, if he doesn't get it today, if, sorry, if they don't make that final play, he, he's going to be vilified again today. And they would have been essentially four games back on the Chiefs and again in a dubious wild card race. But um, I felt this game was one that they got away with in a sense because I thought the Cardinals started really well. As you said, Hopkins went in for the touchdown, followed that up with a field goal, 10-0 up. thought the turning point was in the third quarter when they actually had a very 
manageable 31-yard field goal, which uh, uh, Prater missed and uh, thought that was a little bit of a turning point. Chargers defense had two turnovers in the second half, and the Cardinals offense, which looked quite good in the first half, stalled for a large part. But I didn't think that uh, the Chargers were any better. In the second half, they had four drives, three punts, one touchdown, and the two-point conversion at the end. So essentially, it was like they didn't do a lot, but they were bailed out by their defense helping them out with two massive turnovers in the second half. Otherwise, the game would have gone away from them. I think one of those might have been actually when the cards were quite close to on the periphery of potentially scoring again. So that was a huge turnover at a key time in the game. But the Chargers played the Raiders this weekend who are buoyed after two overtime wins. So it's going to be a really difficult game. It's one they needed. They've got it over the line. But um, I would have been, I'd say I was more impressed with the Jags performance yesterday. You know, in, in the manner how the game played out in similar yeah. circumstances, more impressed with the Jags beating a really strong Ravens side as opposed to Chargers squeaking out a win against a team that looks like they're in trouble this season. It was definitely a stumble. It was definitely a, a, an arduous slog, but equally, that's also why we love the NFL. The last-minute excitement, the last-minute excitement of going for two, and it's all on the line. Stop them when you get it. If they convert, they've got it. Uh, and you've just got to show up and see who stands. You alluded to the Raiders there, Brian, and it's fair to, you know, let's maybe touch on that and then we'll see, you know, take in any comments that people are submitting. Love your feedback, guys, so please do fire them in, any questions, any comments as we go through. Um, the Raiders versus Seattle. I mean, for me, this was the most entertaining game of that. I mean, how can you not be with 40-34 being the final score? Plenty of points. It goes to overtime. We're talking about two walk-off, two-point conversions. With three games the weekend go to overtime as well, which is always great fun for a bit of extra drama. This game in particular, um, I'll talk about the first play, but we should talk about the last play. I'll come to the first play in a bit. But the last play, um, Josh Jacobs, um, he's 111 yards leading the the rushing um, uh, championship, if you like, at the moment. He ran ultimately for 229 yards on a 6.9 per, over 300 in total, obviously walks it off with an 86-yarder after walking in, not feeling too well, you know, wondering how many snaps they're going to get out of him. Well, by God, did he put them on their back and carry them across the line, especially with a pretty inauspicious start, as as always, it seems like this from the Raiders at the moment. But for once, they came back from the dead in relation to it. Against the Seattle team that's been surprising everyone up in Seattle, that's a damn fine win by them, Brian. Yeah, Josh Jacobs was... There was an injury concern about him before the game, and he goes in with 303 yards. That's a Raiders record in terms of the most rushes for a running back in their history. Ninth best in the NFL uh, for, in terms of all-time records. He was, a, I wouldn't say he was a one-man band, but he, he like the tackling at times on him was was quite poor for the Seahawks. But I mean, he's, a, he's consistently the season for the Raiders has been a great player, and he's in a, he's, he's a free agent after the season. You know, and even you know at the early on in the season, there was conversation around whether they were really going to commit to him this season. But he had a, had a great game. I thought overall the Raiders um, looked there was a bit of you know gauging interest for me because obviously Seattle's result impacts on the Giants in the long term potentially for the wild card. But I thought the Raiders did deserve it. Like Carr was only uh, hit four times in the game, and the Raiders' offensive line really for a team that that's been again you know questioned over the offensive line throughout the course of the season and leading into the season. Um, Forty, uh, so there was forty plays yesterday for Russian plays, and they didn't have one single hold in the game. You know, and the, which allowed Jacobs to essentially go and do what he did. So it was a huge game from um they had some very explosive touchdowns. A twenty six yarder and eighty six yarder, obviously that's the winning the one to walk off and then a, a thirty yarder and an eighteen yarder. And for Seattle's defence in terms of the secondary, 
because it was a mixed bag of you know car touchdowns as well as rushing touchdowns for a double up in terms of the tackling I thought was quite poor and for them to give away such explosive touchdowns in the secondary which we're not used to seeing from Seattle this season they kind of gone a little bit backwards and I thought they might have been a lot better coming off the bye week having been to Germany been very flat for two and a half quarters thought we would have seen a rebound from them yesterday in fairness to Josh McDaniels everybody's been kind of slagging him off and slagging the Raiders off and a couple of weeks ago we were on this saying are you going to fire him now are you going to wait to the end of the season there's a storyline going around that they can't afford to, to get rid of him but the one thing I would say is you know you look at the games in which they've lost they've been, in, they've been in six or seven games one score games that just the manner of defeat has been agonizing for them the last two weeks they've come off overtime wins and we talk about them we compare them to the Broncos in the same division like it's, it's very evident which team are playing for their head coach and, and which aren't yeah, well, I mean, there's still several games in the season still to play, so we'll see how those last few weeks transpire because they can change the narrative entirely. I mean, Brian Flores last year, obviously, was um, on a lovely winning run, but that didn't stop him getting fired. And we've seen, of course, a good run towards the end of the season save head coaches, uh, Bacons at times, or go in the opposite direction. You think of Josh McDaniels' first go-round in Denver, um, starting so well in his first season and ending uh, rather... Uh, unfortunately I will just say one more thing on this Brian maybe before we turn it to any comments that people are coming in I mentioned the first play of course the first play Derek Carr thrown inception on the first play very unfortunate what you may or may not have seen I advise everyone to check it out because I didn't believe it was real at first but what actually happens on the play on the return is one of the linebackers is standing on the bench 52 actually comes off the bench to celebrate, thinking that the man was down by contact. They're going to all celebrate in the end zone and ends up taking part in kind of semi-blocking and semi, oh, please don't notice I'm here, um, as he goes on with the play. So the 12th man in Seattle was an actual 12th man this time for once, rather than just the name given to the fans. It's it's bizarre and un unprecedented, to say the least, but... It wouldn't be surprising if the, the uh, NFL gives a little reminder to teams this week about uh, the back men, people, players not entering the field of play and uh, probably a fine, let's be fair, will be heading up to Lumen Field at some point there. Uh, look, let's be fair, I don't think anybody noticed that at the time. No. Um, so, so it's no surprise that the, the referees didn't pick up on it. Again, like when, I, when I read the 12th man today, essentially I assumed it was something... Car, the crowd had got into him and very first play of the game. Um, but no, yeah, very crazy start to the game. And if, again, another point to the Raiders, like they were down 7-0 after two play, two, three plays within the game, down 7-0 after 30 seconds. Again, that game could have easily got away from them very quickly. But again, they went yeah. straight back down the field. and Away from home and all, all of those things. Uh, no, his, yeah. his uh, effort on the blocking was highly amusing, is all I'll say, yeah. when he realises, oh, I shouldn't be out here and I shouldn't really try and block this on the return. was... Good to see. Good. To few see. Com few comments in early doors. Um, I better get this one out of the way. Um, I'm sure Fred has been holding off since Thursday to come after me. Even Laz Dallas win ugly. Yeah. Okay. Um, some Did Dallas call. recently beat Brian? Just just remind me. Yeah. Well, I think uh, you're talking about referees and talking about um, Homer decisions on Thursday night. Oh my God. Anyway, look, um, we were also <sighs> up against it. I threw in Owen because obviously Owen's a Chargers fan, and uh, we quickly got we just quickly discussed a great win. This oh, one was one obviously... One of the best photos that exists on YouTube as his profile pic as well. Yeah, we got Keith um, Finn up. Yeah, nice win for them yesterday. I'm sure we're going to get to that. Very comfortable. 13 nil up in, at three quarters and two out again. Focusing on a big one next weekend. 
this is um even yeah you're right uh, and ended up being a great slate of games yeah yeah, yeah i mean and sorry and in fairness that's a call out last week i said hey thanksgiving we've got two games between teams who are winning records at the weekend we've only got one which was the bengals and the titans and it looked like it was going to be a different story altogether, but really entertaining games and some teams thrusting their way back into the limelight. Um, Brian, one team... Oh, there you Just, go. Paul Tucker. Sorry, quick one. Sorry, quick one. We touched on it, but yeah, yeah like we, we discussed yeah. that we we felt that Tucker was was going to win there's a few more we'll come back to them in a few minutes i think we just uh... we will we will come back to them because i was just saying brian though some teams coming back into it one team that hasn't had to come back into it all season um are the philadelphia eagles still with the league best record um and it's fair to say that their game against the packers didn't necessarily go as people might expect have expected the packers were a lot better than they've shown in recent weeks um, they also had a nice long touchdown, but it was Jordan Love throwing the ball, which is uh, a point for intrigue, obviously, not just for this weekend, but the following rest of the season. But you're right to praise the Raiders' offensive line in how they performed at the weekend, especially given the criticism. I don't think we've seen a bunch of road graders like we've seen from that Eagles' offensive line. And yes, they've got some really dynamic runners, Jalen Hurts, chief amongst them. But... Let me just quote Brian. They they ran against the 49, oh, sorry, the 49 the Packers there 49 times for 363 yards, 7.4 yards per average. At times, it felt like it was Forrest Gump to fly, Forrest fly, with the Eagles absolutely dominating the Packers in the running game. But the Packers hung around. Obviously, the final score has got a little bit of gloss to it. But Again, I said the Raiders Seattle was the most entertaining game, but the late night game on Sunday night football certainly had something for everyone if you stayed up to watch it. Um, yeah, a lot of people didn't give the Packers any chance in this game. There was a lot of conversation with the Rogers injury. There was a lot of concern. I was told we saw how, how strapped up it was, and obviously he's gone off injured since then in the later in the game. There's another injury. He's come out today saying he's very anxious to play again this weekend against the Bears and he's going to continue to try play on um, I wonder and I'm sure Packers fans will you know have their thoughts on this is it time to give Love an opportunity he was only six for nine and the touchdown to to Watson made it kind of look a lot better than as he was he did you know he looked a lot better than what we saw last year in limited appearance in that Chiefs game but you know where where did the Packers go I know we're going to get into the, the game and say, but I'm not sure where the Packers go because they've tied into to Rogers at the end of the season last March with, with the contract which everybody felt was the right thing to do but now you're asking is it time to you know blow it all up and, and let him move on to a different opportunity somewhere else and maybe give love the chance or do they look to trade him and use this opportunity to put a bit of footage on camera for teams to consider him as a, another opportunity somewhere else Jalen Hortz yesterday he was like the rushing yards alone was 156 yards rushing they had a combined rush of 353 between Gamewell, Sanders and Hortz. I mean, that's college football type stuff, you know, seeing that back in the day with it. With and, certain and, and Brian, when he needed to make the passes then, and you got Devonta Smith in particular, who came up big a few times, like it, it, things were on time, they were on point, they were accurate. And you've got exciting talent like that as your wide receiver positions as well. Like this is why they're 9-1. This is why they're outperforming the rest of the league so far. 10-1 now. So there yeah. you have first, first well, What's another win there. between friends, eh? Well, it's another win close to the number one seed, and at this stage, it looks highly likely that is the case because Minnesota are their second seed and they've beaten them. So, essentially, they've got a two game lead on them. You're talking about Hortz, he was 16 for 28, two touchdowns with no interceptions, and 
most fans who have a quarterback throwing in those numbers on the back of a strong running game will be very pleased. It's it's a good it's a good win, and they did what they needed to do because, in fairness, the game was still there for the Packers in the, in the third quarter. Eagles took over in the fourth quarter, which they tend to do in some, in many a game this season. Big win for them for the Packers. I think obviously it's just where where they go from here in terms of playing out the season, and see what's what's coming further down further down the line. Yeah, look, it's going to be another huge off-season of intrigue um, for the Packers and Aaron Rodgers' future and Jordan Love's future. And bearing in mind, making decisions as his fifth-year option as well will be very salient um, in that point of view. Um, Matt Lafleur probably has deserved a bit of an opportunity um, to to kind of re-establish himself, given thirty-nine wins in his first uh, three seasons. But that quarterback situation uh, dictates a lot. Sam asked, what do we make of how well Love was when he came on last night? I think Brian just sums up really well. He was a lot better than the limited um, action we saw him in last season. He had looked like he had a lot more uh, command of the offense uh, in relation to it. And look forward to kind of seeing him in, you know, when teams are going to be game planning for him and preparing for him. You're sure, you can be sure that the Eagles may have had uh, a degree of review of him, but they, they wouldn't have been game planning for him. They wouldn't have had... Uh, the same, obviously, focus in any way, shape, or form they would have had on the general Green Bay offense and in Aaron Rodgers in particular. So for you starting next week and the next few games, let's see how he performs when teams have had an opportunity to properly uh, prepare for him. Um, but, you know, uh, what we'll, I, I'm often saying the expression, one swallow doesn't make a summer, but let's give the... The guy a chance to see, certainly Jalen Hurts, who I gave a lot of noise to last year, has blossomed this season. And um, Brian, I just want to throw it out there. I mean, Jalen Hurts MVP over Patrick Mahomes, or do you still have Mahomes leading the way? Uh, I think it's a tight one. I think it could it could go either way. Um, I can give I can see merits to to both of them. Um, I think bearing in mind where the Chiefs like a lot was expected well again it's, it's again you can argue it you can argue this one was a lot expected of the Eagles we all picked them to win I think we all picked them to win the division this year we expected Hortz to come on I know we've had our differences of a column and, and Michael previously around where how good we think he is um, Mahomes I would still go with Mahomes because this Chiefs team were underestimated this year you know having lost Tyreek Hill and other players and they kind of regalvanized the offense and brought players in and it was a brand new revamp and what we've seen from Mahomes this year is, you know, nothing seems to phase him. Um, you know, different players in, same consistency, same winning record to what we're used to seeing. The likelihood is they have the division, they have number one seed, you know, there for them, there for the taking. Big game coming up against the Bengals, but I would still side with Mahomes right now. And the nice little segue, speaking of the Bengals, um, next game we're going to have a quick look at and recap on the Bengals versus the Titans. Um, this was the game between the two teams with winning records. I made a point that last week that, hey, the Ravens seem to have a really cushy run-in with three, four games against three and seven teams on their records last week. And the Bengals have a really tough run-in against playoff teams, against teams with winning records. They gutted this one out. I mean, the... Mike Vrabel Titans will always play hard and always run you hard. But in this regard, the Bengals' toughness stood up. And, you know, huge credit to T. Higgins came up with some massive catches. Should have called out Zay Jones, actually, earlier in that Jags game. He came up massive in that fourth quarter on the fourth and five, on the fourth and two play. But in this game as well, the Bengals down Jamar Chase. So, you know, they needed players to stand up. And T. Higgins, when it really counted, did stand up. 
and the Bengals. This this had a rock and sock and type of feel to it. It was you know defenses were strong, the offenses were you know exciting in relation to it. Like it was playoff esque. I almost want to say. Um, uh, obviously, the Bengals did best them before as well. So um, a little bit of uh, a recap in relation to that as well. Um, are Look, let's talk about the game, but I want you to also consider, Brian, the Bengals still keep seeming to build this momentum, and I still think they're more likely to get a wild card than overtake the Ravens in the AFC North, but this is how they did it last year. This is what they did. started to come good at the right time of the season and still got players, key players, to return to the fold. The game itself had, <clears throat> excuse me, had a lot of similarities to that playoff game, you know, in terms of the scoreline, there was field goals, but the one big difference was Burrow was sacked 13, game, 13 times in that playoff game, still found a way to win. He was only sacked once yesterday. Um, and for an offensive line that's had a lot of criticism and they did a lot of changing during the offseason, it seems to be slowly coming together at the right time for them. And that was the huge key for me because Tannehill actually had a, probably had a better game. But really at the key times in the game, the Bengals found, found a way to get big plays, like you said, with T. Higgin. And then six minutes to go in the game and the Titans never got the ball back. Huge, significant drive, <clears throat> take all the time off the clock, helped by a, a bad, uh, bad, bad flag on, well, not bad flag, but in terms of stupidity on, on the Titans at the end, because the Bengals were kicking a field goal, but gave them the first down to close the game out. But to go six minutes in a game of that magnitude, without giving the Titans ball, the ball back, quite significant. Bearing in mind, as you said, they're out with Chase, but Mixon was also out. You know, the key running back, only recently is coming off a five touchdown game. He was there. Yep. Pino has stepped up. He stepped up in Pittsburgh there the previous week. Stepped up again yesterday with a touchdown. And they held Derrick Henry in check for nice parts. I know there was one or two plays, in, including the incredible play where he goes on a, a screen pass for 80-odd yards for a touchdown into fumble. Fortunately for them, training Brooks lands on the ball. But um, look, you're right, but the Bengals are coming into form at the, the right time. Right now, I actually I went with the Ravens to win the division in, their, in our season preview. Right now, I'd be Siding with the Bengals, I think they right now have the, the better momentum. I think they play each other in week 17, week 16. It's a crucial game at the end of the season in Cincy. It'll, it, it'll probably come down to that game, to who wins the division. But essentially, I do still believe both teams will find their way into the playoffs. For the Titans, I, I went with the Titans. I thought they would find a way to, kind of similar game to what we saw in the playoffs, but they would find a way to win. But essentially, it was the, it was the other way around. The Bengals impressed me more in terms of offensive line, keeping Borough up. Give them the opportunity to make big plays and get the win. I mean, the Ravens obviously had an historic collapse last season, losing the last four games, if I remember correctly. There was a lot of mitigating circumstances, injuries across all their starts, including Lamar Jackson, which greatly impacted upon that. Um, but it certainly puts it all into the melting pot, especially, as you said earlier, with the Ravens losing to the Jags and the Bengals coming through a tight one. Yeah, the, the Derrick Henry play was was something special and something remarkable, um, um, to say the least. But you always love those uh, random recoveries in the end zone when the defense has done everything right to make up for the the error, if you like, in bringing off such a big play. And then, you know, the luck bounces back to the offense uh, with the, the loose ball. Um, we'll look at one quick game and bounce back to a few other comments, Brian. Um, and I think we've got to talk about this game a little bit because it's the most intriguing game in the NFL in the last few weeks. It feels like out of nowhere, but the NFC East now has all teams with winning records. It has all teams in the playoffs as things stand, Philly as division leads and the other three teams occupying the wildcard spaces. And the most 
dynamic, surprising, intriguing team during that period of time has been the Taylor Heineke-led Washington Commanders, who you can call it brutal, you can call it unpretty to watch. Again, toughed out a win, 19-13, over the Atlanta Falcons. And are now they're on a little bit of a roll, Brian. I mean, I'm sure, given the Giants are going to play them twice in the next few weeks, you're delighted to see how they're building momentum. But it's undeniable. Like, Ron Rivera has done it again. He's turning around the team. They made the change at quarterback. Um, Robinson, obviously, recovering from that horrible incident in preseason, just ran for his first ever 100-yard game as a NFL player. And that defense is tightening, tightening, tightening against the Falcons' offense this weekend that would have been surprising, obviously, this season in terms of how effective and efficient they've been. Um, all aboard the Washington train, Brian, yeah? I have been for a while, Mark, and it's, you know, in fairness, these were always been challenged when I, well, not challenged, but I think people were kind of surprised when I selected them a couple of times when they beat the Packers and I selected them to beat the Vikings a few weeks. So they're 6-1 and one in the last seven games. Like, they're the most formed team in the league and they are, we could be 7-0. and oh, Like, they were very unfortunate not to beat yeah, the Vikings at their home with the late field goal. Um, I thought the Falcons ran, ran the ball very well in them yesterday, actually. For a defence that's been quite strong, Chase Young was due to start back. It didn't materialise, but we've seen a real change in, in strategy with the defence and how they played, and they've been galvanised, and look, it came to, to the fore at the end. The Falcons still, despite where they are, and I know they obviously have a losing record, but they're still well in the hunt in terms of winning that division, but they just find ways... You know, and we've seen it time and time again this season. We saw it against the Chargers only a few weeks ago when they had an opportunity to win the game. They blew it, they blew it again yesterday, but for the Washington team, again, a big interception in the red zone. And you're right about Robinson, like, having come off a, a gunshot wound, missing the start of the season to come in and be so effective. Essentially, in a way, the season has changed for him since he came in. I know he had Gibson there, but Gibson was didn't seem to be high on Rivera's list in terms of running backs he wanted to start. And he had 176 yards rushing yesterday in the game. That's significant against a Falcons defence that can't withstand that type of play. They're not built to stop their run, but yet they still found a way to be in the game. I thought Mariota had a lot more time in the pocket than I expected. But they got over the line, and they're grinding out wins as well, which is a significant thing. You know, that's the type of team that Ron Rivera's built. And that's not going to be pretty. Tyler Heineken doesn't make seem to make a lot of mistakes. He had one interception yesterday. If he plays kind of clean football, they'll put themselves in a position to win. This weekend, they play the Giants in MetLife. Essentially, it is like a, a playoff game because I think the league today have put out this thing where they're whittling down to essentially three teams going for two wildcard spots, those three teams being the Giants, the Commanders, and Seattle. So this weekend is a it's a big step in the direction for one of those teams because one of them is going to walk away with a win and, I suppose, cement their opportunity to be in the playoffs come January. And, and Brian, if I can veer from the divine to and sublime to the you know crazy and nefarious... Only because of the Falcons dropping this game did they not uh, effectively uh, did, did sorry the Bucks stay on top of the woeful NFC South. And everything we say about the NFC East is one thing, but the NFC South is nigh on disastrous. The Bucks somehow maintain staying on the top, even though they too dropped a game in overtime. One of those three overtime games we alluded to, 17. 23 to the Browns, led by Jacoby Brissett. And we'll come to, obviously, what's going to happen to him next week and what's going to happen with the Browns next week in a second. But I was reflecting on this, Brian. It feels like, you know, the age of majority, the age when you can vote and enter into contracts is 18. Tom Brady and the Bucks seem to have a problem with that because they've gone below 18 many times already. But actually, legally, drinking age in America, of course, as we all know, is 21. 
and they've only gone over 21 points twice this entire season. And one of those was only 22 points. So clearly they've got a problem with drinking as well at the moment. And whatever they're drinking from is not the right thing. Tom Brady losing um, for the first time this entire career when he was up by seven points with less than two minutes to play. Um, and the Browns found a way. And by God, they haven't much of this season, to be honest with you. Um, but all things keep going the wrong way for the Bucks. We keep thinking, oh, yeah, they'll get back on the track. Oh, good win in Munich. Um, you know, this is where they turn it around. They start to look like a dangerous proposition in the playoffs. They still can't run the ball. They still can't get anything together. And the Browns did more than enough to hang around and fair play to Jacoby Brissett for bringing home the win. Yeah, it's the inconsistency of this offense throughout the course of the season. And I know like, there's been many a time we've spoken about the fact that there are different players there for Brady and there's been players injured and he's had to deal with what's there, but many a team in the league have had to do that and they overcome situations. They ran, they ran the ball for 64 yards yesterday. I mean, one of the most effective things about the win in, in Munich was the fact that they got the rookie out with an expansive game, you know, and he, Fournette was, wasn't as strong in that game. It was more down to Boyd, the, the running back. He gets over 100 yards in that game, 64 yesterday. Fournette obviously was out of the game yesterday. But even in the second half, I mean, they, like, there was some drive, six players a punt, three plays punt, three plays punt. There was no consistency whatsoever to the offence. And then in, 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 late in the game, with an opportunity to close it out, I think there was two, two thirty left. You, you were thinking, right, they're going to find a way now to get a couple of first downs, see if the clock couldn't even, they couldn't even find Dude, that like it was just so so. And, and cool. Brian, they're throwing the ball so much as well. You know, you're getting incompletion. You keep stopping the clock. That's part of the problem as well. They can't sustain drives. They're not controlling the clock in any way, shape, or form. And and there's big thing, big difference said about Brady this season compared to other seasons. You know, he's not going in the middle enough. Large part, the high percentage of his throws are out to the perimeter, which inevitably means either players going to catch the ball and go out of bounds, which is killing the clock, or or it's going out out of bounds and essentially it's an incomplete pass. So there's just no consistency whatsoever. They, they scored late in the in the tour quarter. It was seven minutes to go, they said, in, in the tour quarter. That was the last time they scored in the game. So another quarter went by, couldn't do anything. And, I, and then I felt, um, probably really getting into the detail now, but even when they got the ball at the end, the, the play calling was, was fine. It was more like they had three, three timeouts and they, find, they found a way to get the ball to the 47-yard line. Didn't call a timeout in the previous play. That would have given them an opportunity to really get two more players off and put themselves in a position well, to tie balls. Sorry, it's a, but I mean, it, it almost goes to the point of they were still worried they would leave time on the clock for the Browns, which is why they didn't call the timeout because they knew that all they were going to do was call uh, um, pass plays and they would stop the clock themselves naturally. Browns would be left with enough time potentially to flip the field and with their timeout. And the conservatism of that call. And that approach, I mean, came out completely to bite them when they did connect on one. If they just had another 10 seconds on the play, one more play, call timeout, could have easily been achieved. So you're absolutely right. I mean, it's not too much into the detail. I think it's the exact right point to make in relation to it. And they suffered from it and the Browns won out. So talking of the Browns, and just before we wrap up this game, of course, for any of you that have been buried in a, a, in a cave somewhere in Afghanistan, um, the uh, reality is that's likely Jacoby Brissett's final start as Browns quarterback. He was given a game ball by the coach afterwards. But next week, the end of Deshaun Watson's 11-game suspension uh, has expired. He is free to train with the team on Monday and Tuesday and is expected to start. Of course, inevitably, the great drama of the NFL. Where is he going to do that? After 700 days of not playing an NFL game, he is going to be starting in Houston 
um, to face his old team, which in fairness, not only disastrous trades for uh, DeAndre Hopkins, but also obviously the whole Deshaun Watson saga um, has greatly impacted upon their continued uh, existence and being. Uh, there's a reason they won nine and one this season. And yes, some of it's institutional uh, mayhem. Jack Easterby's now out in the building, which is one thing, but a lot of it is to do with the various things that have gone on and what they are dealing with the aftermath of. Um, so he goes back to Houston, Brian. We will talk about that later in the week, I'm sure, but that will be a fascinating scenario to say the least. Um, we'll go back to the comments. Thanks ever so much, everybody, for th throwing in your comments uh, to us here. Uh, we'll try and check the, the Twitter channel as well if you put any comments to us on that as well, which doesn't necessarily line up. But, Brian, anything else you see there? Yeah, there's quite a few tonight, which is great to see. A lot of people have uh, engaged tonight. Um, just a few. Uh, here's here's uh, Declan. I think he's he's not on the Tannehill Titan uh, train at all. Um, he'll never go, where with, uh, never go anywhere with Tannehill as the... Uh, Quarterback. They were number one seed last year, but um, well, they were number one seed. They went to the AFC Championship game one year as well, so can't be all that bad. Interesting one. I, we should have mentioned at the start of the show. Uh, the Chiefs have picked up Melvin Gordon uh, this evening. Um, ironically enough, going for another team in the AFC West. And I imagine he's gone on the practice squad with a view to uh, activating him at some stage potentially. Well, do you know what? I I don't know if they'd activate him because the Chiefs' running game actually seem to have turned the corner they've got a nice balance there they've you know using a couple of heads to the monster even if um edward to comes back because he's out injured at the moment i mean would you actually activate him but i love the call out because i've never seen i hadn't seen that before maybe he's going for the yahtzee of uh all the teams um that's a great one to research i remember well was it Danny Woodhead obviously was the Jets Patriots, but there was one player who was definitely on three different AFC East teams one season. I'll try and remember who that is. But yeah, some of the players doing all four. That would be classic. You touched on the Brown situation ahead of the weekend with um Deshaun Watson starting. Um obviously Fred has made it very clear where he uh, where he hopes and what he thinks of the Browns. Um and then obviously uh, a few other ones around the Browns relevant to the situation. Jacoby, nice quarter, uh, bridge quarterback for potentially some teams, which he has been for quite some time. He he has, and it's a good call out, but I will say, obviously, the Colts tried to use him in that format. They gave him every opportunity necessary to win the game. I'm not blaming everything in the Colts on Jacoby Brissett, but they've had such fluctuation in their time there. Um, maybe he could be. Maybe he could be redeemed in terms of the same kind of redemption song that Bob Marley's been singing for Geno Smith this year, um, that uh, he, he finally finds his way into being the number one. I will give you one bit of insight on Jacoby Brissett, Brian, just before we move on from him, actually. So he came into the league, obviously, with the Patriots. He won that game where Brady was suspended, Garoppolo was injured, played the Texans. We won 27-zip. Like, third game in as a rookie, Patriots traded him to the Colts, played a few games there, played a few games here, there, and everywhere. But his biggest supporter is Bill Parcells. Parcells saw him as a young player in college, has championed him, has said he has all the tools, he's the mental makeup to be an NFL starting quarterback. And again, before the Patriots draft him, um, Belichick gets a call from Parcell saying, hey, you know, this guy's the real deal. You should seriously consider him. And so when you've got someone like him giving uh, your career or your your efficacy as a player and as a person support, that can that, that, that helps. That helps a little bit. So like like to see him do well. Like to see him do well. 
there's a few comments around OBJ and his behaviour. Do we get? I'm sure you know about his flight situation by now. As a man who's used to being on flights uh, in the states, I I am Brian, but maybe you might just recap it briefly. You pull up some of the comments and can recap it for anyone that hasn't yeah. caught up on the continuing drama. It's like yeah. a soap opera. That was one comment. Here we are. Fred's saying uh, where he lands, as opposed to which team he lands for, as opposed to landing on an airplane. Um, there was one I think escape, and think it might have been Owen Healy uh, made a point. Uh, it's it's gone off the list at this stage. Um, yeah, look, OBJ got on a flight yesterday, and by all accounts, took a sleeping tablet and fell asleep immediately, only to be woken up by. The polite staff asked him to put a seatbelt on in the end. Everybody had to be removed after playing his legal team have put out a statement very quickly. It's a big week for him, obviously, with a number of visits. He's, his his team have marketed this very well. He's, you know, you'd think he was a player coming back with no injuries whatsoever. He's had two ACLs and a broken leg, but he's still the hot commodity. It'd be interesting to see. I think inevitably he's going to end up in Dallas. We spoke about it on Thursday night on their pre, uh, Thanksgiving preview show. But uh, no, I think we'll go back to the football now. Yeah. Well, I, I, two just last minute comments on it. One was Lawrence Tynes on Twitter said, wait a second, OBJ's flying commercial? What's he doing? doing what's he doing flying commercial? It was just a, a kind of wry little comment. And actually, you make a great point about his team. His team have done a great job. They've built this up into a frenzy of things. It reminds me kind of not in a good way necessarily, Michael Owen, before he joined Manchester United, and his team had actually prepared a presentation about michael owen the the brand the player and what you're getting with some of these highlights and things like that dossier dossier that's the word i was looking for i'm sure um alex ferguson didn't give a blind damn about that dossier but the same token they're trying to do their job they're trying to market their man so whatever works but yeah marketing the old sleeping tablet and uh being kicked off a plane and trying to explain that not not the look not what you want in that scenario but you're right. Let's get back to the, uh, the the football. And hey, Brian, we're going to start with someone who is white hot. Mike White, the Jets, the Bears. I mean, this was um, unbelievable. We, we've been crying out for, okay, Zach Wilson's had his moments. Joe Flacco even played good football behind this line. And and uh, we've gone through a bit of drama and naturally Rob relegating Wilson, not just from first choice, but down to third choice. And when you put Mike White in that situation as a head coach, even surely he's got to be thinking, "Jesus, kid, don't you know? Don't let me down! Don't let me down!" He had his moments last year, of course, um, in terms of spot starting uh, and some big performances. Possibly nothing bigger than this. The best quarterback play the Jets have got all season. He was twenty-eight for, tw- and, and in a great season for them as well. It's not like it's been diabolical all season, but the passing game hasn't been there. But he goes twenty-two for twenty-eight for three hundred fifteen yards. And three touchdowns, no interceptions. And a game that was potentially, you know, a real challenge. I mean, they ended up winning this walking away, 31-10 against the Bears. Um, yeah, and also, I was uh, speaking to a few Jets fans leading up to the game, they were talking about the adverse weather conditions in New York, and they were, they were getting a bit nervous about the fact that will he be able to go out and have the game, which was expected of him because leading up to the game, they did expect that a bit more expansive offense. They were going to open up the playbook because last year when he did play, that was, that was the way in which he... He did well, you know, the Bengals game last year, they won the following tours that they went into Indianapolis, they got, it was a very high scoring game and he played for a proportion of that game before he got injured. And then they rushed him back the following week, played him, he had four interceptions and he went off the cliff. But, you know, in hindsight, he said he was injured, he should never have played that game. 
And he's he's sit behind Zach Wilson and he's waiting for his opportunity and despite the clamouring throughout the course of the season from many of Jets fans for him to play, it wasn't him, it was it was Flacco or and then it was then it was Zach Wilson. As you said, Zach Wilson is now relegated to tour choice. He has to be the guy to bring this team forward now. Like what we saw yesterday. I mean against let's be fair, the Bears defence hasn't been great. They've traded away some of their key assets, so it doesn't come as a surprise to see another team put up over thirty points on them. But it was the manner of the win yesterday. Bear in mind what happened to the Jets last week in New England and how that game played out to go and rebound as they did. And early on, the Bears were in the game. And I was reading a report today that the Bears' problem yesterday was they tried to use the same playbook they do for Justin Fields with Trevor Simeon. And after a couple of drives, they quickly got snuffed out. The Jets' defence adjusted, realised what they were doing. Trevor Simeon was never going to be in a position to do anything like what we've seen from, from Justin Fields in terms of the run opportunity to run pass option they were stifled very quickly the game was over by third quarter they played in minnesota this weekend it's a really tough game and bearing in mind what we saw from minnesota's defense in terms of how mac jones was able to throw the ball up and down the field on them that is a weak spot for this vikings defense do we see similarities come sunday in terms of the jets being able to go up and down the field if we can see the offense which we saw yesterday delighted to see the jets to be honest win that game and keep themselves in the hunt you know for a team that's had such difficult years Again, you touched on the NFC East, and I know the Patriots lost on Thursday, but right now, like they're all within the, you know, they all have a fair opportunity to make the playoffs. Do obviously the first two, Dolphins and Bills are in, you know, whether it's one winning division in the wild card, but the other two have a great, still have a lot to play for. Yeah, and and that game um, is going to be a cracker next weekend, an absolute cracker. It's high on the list. I will share one um, little tidbit from the uh, incomparable and indomitable Peter King. Uh, who uh, will be coming back on the show in the next few weeks, actually, as well. Always great to to see Peter and always obviously read his stuff on Football Morning America every week. But Peter pointed out that the Bills and the Jets started their rebuilds at the same time, basically, in the 19th season. The Jets, uh, the Bills, of course, took Josh Allen. The Jets took Sam Darnold. In that regard, thinking of Sam Darnold and all the changes in between, um, you are, uh, sorry, um, Zach, yeah, so, no, Sam Donald, I'm right. Sorry, thinking of all the changes in between, there have been 13 quarterback changes that the Jets have had. For the Bills, zero. And that consistency matters. Do, do Speaking you want to get of... Yeah, I was going to say, do you nice want to get out? See, this is all smooth, Brian. This is all smooth. Um, speaking of Sam Donald, he played at the weekend, actually, and he played for the Panthers in... Uh, you know, the Panthers trying to start every quarterback. They're trying to have the 13 changes a quarterback, but just been in the one season, it seems like. Um, but he played, um, and he played in a winning performance. Uh, the Panthers beating the Broncos 23-10. I wanted to say, Brian, if you saw his rushing touchdown, of course, he very much aped Oasis when he rolled with it. The third quarter went by in a bit of a blur as the Panthers got away from the Broncos. And at the end, they beat them to a pulp. Now I have exhausted all my 1990 uh, rock band references. What would you like to say about the game generally? Well, I was the only one of the group that actually picked the Panthers to win this game, which again, it came as a surprise to me because the Panthers have played quite well under Steve Wilkes, who's right now is the interim head coach. And uh, they play quite, you know, they've been winning games at home as well. And we've saw over the course of the last six weeks, the frailties of this offense again yesterday, Russell Wilson, 125 yards, two rushes for eight yards. like. You're starting to see now why the Seattle made that decision that it was time to move on from because 
they seen him slow down, but we didn't, and other teams didn't, and the Broncos certainly didn't. They they made the big move. I had a few quid on Sam Darnold to score a touchdown yesterday as well, Mark. I I, I just felt he's coming back fresh. He hasn't played all season. I know they've had back and forth quarterbacks, but you know you're bringing a guy in in week 13 who hasn't played all season. It's going to be fresh. He's bound to have an opportunity, and they do have players that can that can. In fairness to them, they have players that have made big plays throughout the course of the season, even in games where they've lost, such as DJ Moore. He had to touch down the first half. It was a big play from later on in the game. And the Broncos' defence, you know, for a team that gave up 23 points, they still stifled the Panthers for large parts of the games. Like, for example, the Panthers for 2 for 12 on tour down. Like, they got them off the field time and time again, which is probably a fair reflection of what we all saw last night, which was the, uh, if you want to call it, the rant, the ill-discipline of the defensive player. Uh, this disagreement on the sideline. I mean, look, I, I'm sorry, I'm going to say, like, all players, there's sometimes tensions run high and you can understand the emotion and the frustrations that exist between teams. You see plenty of arguments that occur between teammates or between teammates and coaches. I think just because it's in front of the cameras, it can get overblown sometimes. You're right on the Russell Wilson thing. The one thing he isn't doing this season, didn't for the last part of the season in, in Seattle, is his mobility seems to have gone. Whether that's because of injury, whether that's because of old age, but once you've removed that from his game, then that is uh, that is an issue. I mean, he is not, you know, he's no longer in, obviously he's a long way removed, but when he was younger, it was in that, that Jalen Hurts, that Justin Fields, that... Um, Who's the other one I'm thinking of at the moment? Um, there's another uh, field. Uh, fields hurts. Ah, can't think of it. But that mobile. The Mary Jackson. You the Mary Jackson, maybe. Much their arms. Sorry, who was that? Jackson. Uh, I, yeah. Well, he, he had 183 yards in total rushing last year for sale. Well, like, exactly. Way so, down on his previous seasons. Yeah. That mobility is gone. And, the, you know, don't get me wrong. Like, the Broncos were not the only ones in the Russell Wilson sweepstakes. A number of teams were trying to acquire him. A number of teams. And that's why the price got quite expensive obviously in the order of trading him uh and that's because he was a you know multiple time pro bowler he'd had 10 great seasons in the league you couldn't necessarily see that regression we could have hours it well is this russell wilson is it the offensive line so missing three stars on the offensive line if it's nathaniel hackett who seems by the day to be losing more and more grip on his role or is it the combination of multiple facts including other injuries that they're suffering with there um look they're they're on a, a a downward spiral at the moment again we talk about interest in the off season at green bay interest in the off season and what exactly is going to occur in denver uh especially under new ownership will be instantly uh, equally intriguing fair play to the panthers i just want to call out as well we called it when c-mac had left like and obviously the the, the various regime changes and trading off like oh they've got a good defense but this is going to be a tough rest of the season that defense has played so stout and they're playing for each other. They're playing hard. They've been playing hard in every game since. Um, and I'm not going to say they're turning around their season, but they're certainly showing that they're no walkover and they're still picking up wins along the way. Um, very quickly, Brian, with a couple of games to touch on really swiftly before we get on to Monday Night Football. And because, you know, we'll turn back some comments in a second. Um, I'll take one. Uh, the Dolphins-Titans. 30-15, you kind of alluded to earlier. Fair play to the Finns, up 30-zip. It looked for a horrible time, though, when they kept... Sorry, Texans. They kept giving the ball back to the Texans. That Could we see one of these most un unbelievable comebacks in the season of comebacks, as it were? Because uh, they kept giving them opportunities and possessions. But in the end, they, they had it more than comfortably in hand. It just they kind of went a little bit to sleep in the second half. 
they stay atop the AFC East with the Bills. They're going to be in full contention in the divisional games. And I cannot wait for some of those divisional, interdivisional games uh, uh, to, to finish up uh, this season in there. You're going to briefly touch on the Chiefs and Rams. Remind me, Brian, what was the betting line on the Chiefs and Rams, by the way? 15 and a half, Michael. What was the final score? 15 and a half. And uh, so they won by 16 points. Very convenient, isn't it? Late field goal to close out the game. Yeah, I did. It did cross my mind yesterday. That was uh, something that was uh, strange. It was just they just know how they know the number. They, they, it's amazing how every week they seem to have it to a T. Um, look, this game it was close enough in the first half, and the Rams quarterbacks, the new quarterback is in. Uh, kind of his, his name escapes me, but he, he seems mobile enough. It looks like he's going to play for the remainder of the season because it's been confirmed that. Matthew Stafford likely will not play again this season. They lost Robinson, the wide receiver who they acquired from the Bears. Um, on Friday, he's, he's now gone for the season. Cup isn't going to return. Um, I mean, Sean McVay is struggling probably to be on the sideline next week after his uh, his years uh, hit to the head. I'm, I'm not sure if you picked up on that one uh, just, just early on in the game. Certainly looks like he had to go to concussion protocol. He'd want to be in concussion protocol the way this team are playing. It's not going to get any easier for him. There's some tough games coming up. For the Chiefs, they never got out of second gear. It was a nice... Nice, comfortable win for him. And bearing in mind a game that at the start of the season you would have thought has it's got the, the makeup of a game that could be significant for both sides. It was over before it really got started, in fairness. Um, one other game I'm going to jump on now, um, unless you want to address it, is, is the Saints going into San Francisco. and look, The 49ers yesterday offensively stuttered throughout the course of the game. They had the one touchdown, which was a, a fortunate touchdown. Their defence, again, yesterday showed why arguably they're one of the best in the league and potentially would be the reason why they will go all the way and certainly a deep playoff run because they stepped up again. I know the Saints aren't having the best seasons offensively but still stopped them twice in the red zone to see out the game. It wasn't as comfortable maybe as it looked. You know, The Saints played a, played a little bit better than they have done recently but again, I suppose the result went, went in the way in which we expected but the 49ers are going to have much tougher games to come. They're going to play the Dolphins shortly. They're going to really have to get the offense going. Yeah, um, look, we've a lot of exciting things still to to bring you for on the Irish NFL show, including in January we're going to be doing some uh, a show actually at uh, well a show. Or we're going to have some content, shall we say, from Levi Stadium um, with the 49ers. We hope they're in the middle of a deep playoff run at that particular point in time. They're certainly going to get there if this defense keeps up, Brian, as you rightly alluded to. The last time. They conceded a point in the second half. Was back in week seven. Um, since then, they've had multiple games strung together where they haven't even conceded a point in the second half. Um, that is the epitome of efficiency uh, in relation to it. But if they don't get it done on offense, um, you know, then that's not going to get there. And again, you, we kind of, you know, uh, Lorcan's question earlier on about what about Jacoby's a bridge, a la cheaper Jimmy G version. Well. If Jimmy G's not getting it done with Kristen McCaffrey, Brendan Ayuk, George Kittle, I mean, throw Juszczyk in there, throw a lot, obviously Elijah Mitchell in there um, in relation to it. I still think I'm missing uh, one of their – oh, Debo. Jesus, how do I miss Debo? Um, that is um, more than slightly disconcerting. But you know what? They beat the Packers with defense and special teams last year in the playoffs. And so maybe they don't really need that much uh, in terms of making a deep run this year. Um, they're certainly pulling it together to get back online. Interesting comment was you're, was you're discussing the uh, 49ers. 
it's great and and you know to be absolutely honest with you it's a great comment and it's a great conversation we had when they announced that jimmy g deal i think the biggest thing about the jimmy g deal was nobody thought he would want to come back or a market wouldn't open for him so it then it ended up being a a marriage of convenience but this is something we've commented on a few times on the show over the i mean we, we just celebrated our second anniversary there uh this is recently um and We've come to this a few times. It's hard enough to get 32 players to play quarterback efficiently in the league, let alone 64. So trying to get that good backup is a problem. That's why I'm trying to think Chase Daniel was the epitome of the player. I think he only played a couple of games in his entire career, but he used to make $6 million, $7 million a year as one of the solid backups in the league. Um, but you're right. If we don't invest in it, look at the amount of teams that can't get a decent starter at the moment. Um Trent Williams is a great life tackle. It's good to see the 49ers getting healthy, and that's why they're going to be scary as well. They're getting healthy at the right time, um, definitely showing up all the way along the road. You're talking about the back of your moment of Colum's favourite line. I'm sure if he looks back in this tomorrow, he'll be smooth. Peyton Manning. Harder. Yes. Why is, it, why is the back of not getting any snaps? Because if we have to play him, we're, well, we'll say we're screwed, as opposed to what Colum tends to say. But, uh, yeah, when he always repeats. We, we, don't, we don't practice screwed was the line, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, something along those lines. A few other comments, uh, referring back to the Broncos, um, issues with the offensive line being great, a lot of injuries. Javante Williams, big loss to running back. Uh, Wilson having a bad season. Yeah, there's been a lot of... Look, there's various different reasons. Actually, we did... Tim, I, I, when I did Tim want to Patrick as well, lost before yeah. the season started. Probably the most yeah. reliable um, wide receiver there, yeah. but... Yeah. Um, what I actually meant to say was, we we're talking about the Broncos, it's been reported the same by Peter King, who, as you said, we may have on the show in the coming weeks. He's already uh, quoting in his article that uh, not, uh, Hackett is going to lose his job come the end of the season. It's, it seems to be general consensus. It doesn't probably come as a surprise. Uh, bear in mind, they've only won three games with tougher games to come as well over the next few weeks. It'll be interesting to see how many wins they can actually rack up before the end of the season. It looks like he's unfortunately going to lose his job. Um, one or two orders. Um, I don't know where Declan's going with this one. He says, "Ah, here, Mark. You must have made a comment that he didn't uh, that he didn't appreciate. Uh, maybe he was referring to the Dolphins." Uh, Fred is a good one around quarterback and the salary cap around the fact that you've got situations where so many quarterbacks are consuming so much of the cap. Um, yeah. you know, so, um, I mean, yeah. yeah, but you're going to have to pay it, Fred. Like, this is reality. If it's a franchise quarterback, we can make the point time and time again, like, is, you know, some Green Bay's pain that there's so much of the cap is tied up in Rodgers. But at the end of the day, most of the league, you look around, like you look at Mahomes' deal or Allen's deal, they're big numbers, especially in the later years. So you, you're going to have that. I remember one of the most extraordinary or extreme examples I remember ever seeing, Bill Barnell in ESPN once commented, if the league... He, he actually had this great analysis. He said, look, you look at teams over the years. Green Bay, famously, obviously, for 20-odd years, would draft a developmental quarterback. Even with Brett Favre, even the thing, they, they developed Matt Hasselback, for example, and traded him to the Seattle. They saw it as a factory that teams were always willing to pay a premium for, and it never hurt, back to the backup conversation, to have a talented rookie or a talented second-year or third-year guy in your system and you know who who is absorbing all of that flint to seattle from green bay was another one yeah exactly yeah 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 in yeah. free agency and of course yeah. russell wilson winning out that job so there was a there was a common theme of that but barnell sort of said look now with the rookie cap do you take that a step further 
I've said it before, the greatest market inefficiency in the NFL at the moment is a quarterback on a rookie contract because it's the most expensive position, the cheapest, and you can load up the talent around. Arguably brought Seattle, their Super Bowl. There are, you know, Kansas City, their Super Bowl. Um, that is a game changer to get that franchise quarterback, quarterback on that first contract. You can't waste it. He made this suggestion, and he was kind of, he was kind of working through the analysis to excise the fifth year option and then cut him loose. Try to draft another quarterback in the first round in the fourth year, going into the fifth year, and then you get whatever you get from them, or maybe you you apply the franchise tag or the um, uh, of transitionary tag, which is the more controversial one, but could, could work for a corner for a franchise quarterback that someone will be willing to pay the two first round picks. And you don't match, you take the two first round picks and say thank you very much. And you use it as a market efficiency year on, year out. Trying to hit gold on quarterback quarterbacks makes that illogical necessarily. But I definitely think there's something in the idea of like people will look at someone's going to take advantage of the fact of looking at this a slightly different way at some point in time. And now I alluded to the difference between an Allen and a Darnold. There's 19 or 13 quarterback changes to zero quarterback changes. And once you have that gold, you're not willing to give it up. Um, but one of these days, somebody's going to say, why do we have to look at it the same way? Why well, don't we do it differently? You, you also, you're top of scrutinizing quarterbacks in the analysis. You look at that draft in particular, I think it was a two, 2018. Might have been that draft. So you got Baker Mayfield, number one, Sam Darnold, number two. Um, sorry, number three, because Saquon Barkley went at number two. But you've got those two essentially end, end up on the same team together this season, one and two, before Sam Darnold gets his injury, which rules him out for the bones of 11 weeks of the season. Then you have Josh Allen. I think he went at 10 because the Bills managed to manoeuvre their way up the board to get to 10 because they were way down. And you get Joe Shane and, and the GM there working yep. together to bring themselves up. Lamar Jackson went 22, the last pick of that round to, to the Ravens. And arguably he himself and, and Josh Allen are the future. We had Patrick Mahomes winning the AFC and Joe Burrow there. So like you've got it's no slam dunk who you're taking one or two or three is gonna be the right man. Like Justin Fields went, you know, to the Bears and because obviously they moved up to get him to Giants, but other teams bypassed him. The Panthers picked the eight and went with JC Horn in that draft. They bought they they went past him. The Broncos went at nine and went with Patrick Sertain. They they bypassed Justin Fields and for a large part of the first part of his career, people felt, yeah, it was the right decision. You know, looking at him with the Bears and what the Bears are doing with him, people are starting to say, you know what, maybe he was the right answer. Maybe he should have went further, further up the board. So that's the beauty of NFL drafts every year. It's very enjoyable to lead up and see what comes over on the night itself. So they always say, don't they, Brian, don't judge a draft until three years after the actual draft has occurred because then you've got the opportunity to properly assess players. I mean... We're getting into that. We've gone past that three years or into that three years for those that that particular draft class. So you start to see those yeah. patterns emerge. Absolutely. But um, speaking of drafts and draft classes, um, we've got a Monday night football game also to talk about in preparation for this evening. And unfortunately, this features two teams that are going to be looking very likely to be drafting higher up the board uh, this particular uh, uh, next particular April. Um, Monday Night Football, Brian, I mean, you know, sell it to me, mate. Sell it to me. We've got the three and seven Steelers against the four, six and one Colts. It does not smack entertainment off the, the, the initial pass. Um, but at the same token, at some point, 
Do you know what? I think Jim Irsey is like, you know, a Gordon Ramsay or something like that. Gordon Ramsay just goes around firing. Oh, no. Well, Donald Trump, Alan Sugar, actually, the apprentice reference. You're fired. You're fired. You're fired. Eventually something works. I mean, is that what's happening in Indianapolis? He's fired everybody. And Jesus, actually, it's starting to come together a little bit more. Well, I'm not sure. They've only played two games, let's be fair, since uh, since they removed Frank Reich. And what I'm fair is what I would say is they won the first game in in uh, Vegas, which uh, there was a lot of momentum. Players were obviously going to go out and play for Jeff Sarri. But they followed it up last week. They, like, they lost 17-16 to, to the Eagles last week, and we spoke about it last morning. The, the game was there to be won, and we felt they should be a little bit more aggressive in the red zone at the end of the game. And It took off. It took a, a late score from Jalen Hurts to put that game away. Look, I don't think they're out of it in the playoffs. I know it sounds a bit extreme, and I know they're going to have to go on a massive run, but they're 4-6-1. and six and one. They win this game. I think they'll win this game. That's my selection. I think the Colts will find a way to win. I think for the Steelers to win, they're going to have to get turnovers, similar to what we saw from the Colts earlier in the season where they were turning the ball over. Because as well as Kenny Pickett, I thought played last week against against the Bengals, and he seems to be coming on. I don't think... I think this game would be a step too far against a, a Colts defence that despite their struggles, has played reasonably well over the course of the season. The Colts have to win this to have any hope of any shot making the playoffs. Like it's, it's it's a hard task for them to make the playoffs. But at the same time, they're playing for, for Saturday. Will he be the head coach next season? It's highly unlikely. I did say on the show a couple of weeks ago, what happens if he does go on a run and puts the, the ownership in a precarious position? Because they don't really believe that's going to be the case. But if they were to do it, it makes for a difficult conversation come the end of the season. But we saw last year with the Raiders when they had an interim head coach. They made the playoffs and they still felt he wasn't suitable for the job and they went and sought, sought, sought Josh McDaniels. So uh, for the Steelers, look, we spoke about it in the offseason. It was always going to be a difficult year. Um, I was quite down on them. I felt this would be uh, Mike Tomlin's first season with a losing record. I still think that's going to be the case. But um, right now it's just a case of see what they can get from this from this quarterback who has played in prime time on Sunday Night Football against... The Dolphins played reasonably well. It'll be interesting to see how he coached with that magnitude of a big game in America on a Monday night. So when you just said they're, they're playing for Saturday, I was actually, and it wasn't being a pun, I was like, no, Brian, they're playing on Sunday next week. Um, but uh, yeah, so they're playing, they're playing for Saturday on a Monday before next Sunday. And, um, you know, you break it down really well there. I, I still have less belief in this cult side. I think we're seeing a little bit of a, a small second wind, pulling Matt Ryan back in the lineup was inevitable, but they're still not performing. The defense has definitely stood up, and that's the biggest fear for the Steelers going into this game. Their offense, to say it's been spluttering, would be putting it politely. Um, Kenny Pickett will have more opportunity and more opportunity with a full off season and more opportunity with further talent around him and a better functioning offensive line to show what he's fully capable of. Um, but we, we do go from the ridiculous to the sublime with him, seemingly from drive to drive. Um, their run game hasn't got going. You know, it's it's not... Pickens has flashed, but that's the problem. This this Steelers... Sorry, Steelers. This Colts defense has performed quite admirably in the last couple of weeks since Saturday's taken over, especially as you correctly call out against the Eagles game. And we all just saw what they did to the Packers so they can absolutely destroy things. Um the X factor for me, however, is actually the Steelers' defense. Mike Tomlin has an extremely proud record. We've talked about it many times. He's never had a losing season for the Steelers. If he's going to want to change that, or sorry, keep that, he needs to change this team's fortunes pretty darn quickly. 
that defense is still super impressive. And I just feel that there's a little bit of a regression to the norm due for the Colts offense. Um, there's a reason they were performing so poorly at the start of the season. They've got a lot of flaws, a lot of holes on that offensive line. And by God, I think the Steelers' D-line is still designed well to exploit that. Um, I know Colm is agreeing with you, Brian, and going with the Colts. I know the Benning favorite in this is the Colts. But somehow, someway, I still believe uh, that Will I Am. Um, oh, sorry, Mike Tomlin. Always getting confused. Um, but, you know, he, for anybody just listening for the first time, that's an ongoing, long-time joke. Um, but um, Mike Tomlin will find a way, and he can deliver a surprise victory. And in a season full of surprises, why not one more? So you guys are going on the Colts, but I am going on the Steelers to surprise everyone and, uh, you know, exploit. I still say coaching matters. I still say at some point the inexperience of Jeff Saturday is going to be shown up, and I'm banking on Mike Tomlin being one of the key people to exploit that in this scenario. So I think uh, we touched on it when you were in Donald Cusco, me and Colin were discussing that particular game, Colts Raiders, and we said the best way for the Colts to win would actually be to bring Matt Ryan back in a quarterback. So you're talking about experience, you know, experience on the field, quarterback with years of experience as opposed to, Kenny Pickett, that's why I think he can lead. In it, he can lead. Despite the, the friends of the offensive line this season and the Steelers' defence on their day can be one of the best, I still think Matt Ryan will find a way to get it, get it, uh, get it over the line. But again, I can see the narrative. I can see why, why you would be attracted by a Mike Tomlin-led team to win a game. Hey, I'm winning the pick league, so I've got to give you a chance sure. to catch up. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the other part of the pie. Look, it's been an absolute pleasure as always, Brian, spending some time with you talking some NFL. Do we have any other comments to touch on before we go up or, or wrap things up? No, not in particular. I think we covered a lot off. A um, couple of small points around defences and uh, from LeBron. Um, but no, by and large, uh, covered everything that was in there to see them. Good stuff, good stuff. Well, look, thanks everybody for sharing your thoughts and comments. Always great doing a live show and having a chat with you all and talking some football. Um, before we close up, obviously, uh, Brian, you alluded to it very briefly at the start of the show. Uh, we had a bit of a departure from the show earlier this week. Michael, we've been going for two years, an amazing journey in relation to those two years. Um, uh, and Michael is uh, moving on to pastures new to try some other things. Just wanted to acknowledge that and wish him all the best in the future and his uh, future activities. We got some great things. I mentioned about the going to visit the 49ers in due course. Obviously, the Super Bowl in Arizona in a couple of months' time and some great guests and new corporate sponsors coming on board in the next couple of months as well. So look forward to doing more of that on the Irish NFL show with you, Brian, and with Colin when he eventually comes back. Jesus, going away for a holiday in the middle of the season. Very, very inconsiderate. Yeah, we look forward I, to having him back. I believe he's on, a, he's on a flight back now, so um, he should be back reasonably fresh come Thursday or Wednesday, whatever day we're going to preview this weekend's games. But uh, yeah, looking forward to getting Colin back on and yeah, seen his thoughts on the uh, the Broncos and the speculation, Stephen, that the hacker's going to lose his job. He's 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 listening to us. Uh, he's listening to us on the Wi-Fi on the plane. I'm sure that's what's yeah, going on. That's he's sleeping. Um, stay tuned, everybody, to the Twitter uh, page for during the week. We're going to have a couple of comps running on that as well during the week. Great as always. Talk to you. Thanks again to Casty Travel, our partners, um, Trust, who actually uh, sponsor us on, on terms of the equipment. And to uh, PointsBet, who provides some great insights for us on some of the betting patterns um, generally you'll see during the season as well. So really appreciate your time. 
Have a pleasant evening. Thank you, Brian. Take it easy, y'all.